And when Jesus describes us in our unregenerate, lost, pre-born again state, he says our attitude is like these demons. We do not want him to reign over us. That's the heart of all sin. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the book of Revelation and we've been studying the horrible times that will befall the earth during a period known as the Tribulation. In a message entitled, When Hell Invades the Earth, Dr. Brogy last week began looking at the second set of judgments, which will occur in the second half of the Tribulation, the Trumpet Judgments. We saw that a third of the earth will be wiped out by a star that God controls. There will be horrible fires and earthquakes, and a third of humanity will be destroyed. A third of the rivers and streams will be dried up, and even our own sun and moon will experience part of this cataclysm. Today, Dr. Brogy addresses the fifth trumpet, what the Bible calls a bottomless pit. We saw last week that this pit is a deep place, and as we pick up, Pastor Carl begins reading from chapter 9, verse 2, which indicates this pit is also a dark place. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit. Wow, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, when I say the abyss is a dark place, I mean both physically and spiritually. When the pit is open, smoke emerges, a a dark smoke like a a great furnace that has been opened up. And God gives warnings, I think, in the Bible not to scare us, but to warn us and to protect us so that we would get right with Him. And by God allowing smoke to come up out of the abyss and for you to be able to visibly read of what is going to happen in the future, He's given you an ultimate picture of the eternal wrath and the lake of fire. Jesus describing hell, the final resting place, it says, and He will throw them into a furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We'll study that when we come to the 20th chapter. So the smoke is thick, it's dark, such that, notice, the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now that's imagery that ought to get people to stop and think before they joke about hell. The smoke polluted the air so much that it darkened the sun, which had already been darkened by the sixth seal, but again, that was temporary. And, uh, and it had been darkened with the blowing of the fourth trumpet. But this smoke comes out, and it literally is terrorizing. And what is so frightening is not just the smoke, but what comes out of the smoke. What's described here as locusts. Now, the abyss is being opened up. Imagine if our government this afternoon said, we're going to release every prisoner in America. They're all going to be free. Not a pleasant place to live. Well, I'm telling you, suddenly, under the hand of a sovereign God, the abyss is going to be open, and the worst of the worst demons who have not lost all of their freedom will be free, and they will reign chaos and pain and suffering 10,000 times 10,000 worse if every prisoner in America were let out. Now, there's no reason these demons... Um, have had their freedom to wage war in the heavenlies taken away such that they are in the abyss. <coughs> Follow this. Just as there are, again, degrees of depravity that man can show itself, so there are demons that have 
various expressions of evil. And so they are in the abyss for this region. And so these who are called legion, they're afraid that before the time, the final time in the lake of fire, Jesus is going to send them to the abyss and then they're going to lose their opportunity to operate. But as bad as what they've done, and I read that account in, in Mark 5, Matthew 8, Luke 8, and I think, man, these these creatures were evil, what they did to these two men and how they function in these two men and, and what their commitment was to these two men. And yet they weren't worthy of the abyss. Look out, you think about that. You think about these dirty, diabolical demons and how much Satan and all of his minions hate you the next time he tempts you. So this place is opened and that brings us finally to this horrible plague that is released. The horrible plague that is released, and it's described in two ways. First, the limited power of this plague. The limited power, we read now in verse 3, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. Again, as terrifying as the smoke is, what is even worse beyond the fact that it darkens the sun is what comes out of it. And what comes out, these demons are likened to locusts because they are a great number. They are vast in number. Uh, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I left home to become a campus pastor in 1978. And I came back a year later, and it was in the summer months in July. And I was just kind of shocked because... As I drove into our hometown, all the trees had aluminum foil wrapped around them about four or five feet up the trees, and the leaves were just like beginning to form all over again, and it was July. I was witnessing in the middle of July, which you would have seen in uh, late April, early May in New England, depending on the winter. And what had happened is uh, this bug called the cicadas, who come out every 17 years, came out and they literally just ate everything. I mean, it just, it was just kind of, it was a kind of a gray scene. Well, I don't know a whole lot about locusts, but I've done a study on them, and I'm told that cicadas do about one one-hundredth of the damage of locusts. They literally eat everything. But again, uh, God is sovereign in this, and God is in control of all this, and there's a reason why, though they're not going to eat anything in this case, he compares them to locusts. Now, I, when I saw that in Worcester, Massachusetts, it reminded me of the plague that Moses spoke of, for they had covered the surface of the whole land. Can you imagine that? Just locusts everywhere. All you see is locusts on the ground everywhere, millions and millions of them. And so like a dark cloud, they come out of the abyss so that the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. And by the way, even this was a controlled miracle, wasn't it? Because in the land where the Jews lived, there were no locusts. God is sovereign. He knows what he's about. But when locusts come, they devour every green thing. They consume every blade of grass, every flower. They often even eat the bark off the tree. And of course, enough time has elapsed between the first trumpet and this fifth trumpet so that what was lost green-wise in the first trumpet has a chance to grow. Remember, we're in the second half. The trumpet and bold judgments take three and a half years. So these demons that are described as, as locusts are not locusts. They're unlike locusts and that they don't harm the vegetation. These locusts are not coming for plants. They're coming for humans. They're not coming after the green vegetation. They're coming after the souls of men. Look at verse 4. 
They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, if you remember between the parenthesis, the interlude of the sixth and seventh seal, God gave us a chance to catch our breath and showed us what was going on during the time of the first six seals. And so in Revelation 7, 3, and 4, God said, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. That's what we're talking about here this morning. You can harm people, but you cannot harm those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. God protects these 144,000. Why? Because they are his voice boxes. They are the ones who are preaching the gospel. God, even in the midst of all the agony that is coming upon the earth, is still wanting people to be saved from the wrath that is going to come. If you remember on that occasion when Satan comes into the throne room of God with some of his imps, and he says, God, the only reason Job loves you is because you've bought his love. Take away the things you've given him. We'll see how much he loves you. And so God gave Satan permission. He said, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So again, the same picture. God is sovereign. As Martin Luther rightly said, the devil is God's devil. They have a limited power. Secondly, beyond the limited power of this plague, I want you to see the enduring pain of this plague, the enduring pain of the plague. Look now, if you will, at verse 5. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. These demons have the power to sting like a scorpion, a sting that is known to be very painful. I had a friend who was bitten by a scorpion. He said it was incredibly painful. I've never been stung. I hope I never will. But while it is bad, it is rarely ever fatal in humans. Again, as this chapter reveals, these are not literal locusts because locusts, number one, do not have scorpion-like stings in their tails. But while these demons are not permitted to kill anyone, they are allowed to torment people. And three times over in the verse, for emphasis, you find the word torment. And it's a very specialized Greek word that was used outside of the Bible in the first century of that torturous process on the infamous rack. The infamous rack where a man was stretched out, it was called this very term. And of course, unlike a locust, because these are not literal locusts, where the sting lasts for 24 hours, the pain that these locusts bring lasts for five months. You say, oh, five months, that's not so bad. Listen, five months may feel like a long time, I suppose, if you're waiting for something good to happen but it feels like an eternity when you're waiting for something bad to end. It is so bad, so incredibly painful, verse 6 says, and in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. The pain they inflict would be so immense they would welcome to die rather than to experience it. 
And the Bible makes it very clear, though they long to die, death will flee from them. No form of suicide will work. They may try to pull the gun and the demon takes it away. They may try to take a knife and the demon allows it not to go through. They may jump in the water and the demons lift them up out. He may jump off a cliff and the demons will catch them. Men will seek death. They will seek suicide, but they will not be able to find it. And so beginning in verse 7, the apostle John will have to resort to some simile to describe the horrific pain and torture that these people, these demonic people bring. Now, some think this is very hard to interpret the next verse, but it's not as hard as they make it because if you let Scripture interpret Scripture, other prophetic sections open it up. Look at verse 7. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Now, the word like that appears here seven times in verses 7 through 10 tells us these demons were not real horses that their crowns were not really gold, that their faces were not really human. These creatures are not some freak of nature. He's using simile here. They're likened to horses because of the speed of conquest a horse would bring. They're likened to have heads wearing crowns because Satan has always wanted to rule. And when Jesus describes us in our unregenerate, lost, pre-born again state, he says our attitude is like these demons. We do not want him to reign over us. That's the heart of all sin. And you have to yield that if you're ever going to be saved. And their faces were like the faces of men. Now, the four living creatures had faces like men as well. Again, similarly, and I think God uses the face of a man to help us to see that these fallen angels have intelligence and emotion and reason as they go about inflicting pain. By the way, the, the ability of demons to change their appearance will become evident as we work through the revelation. For instance, when we come to the 16th chapter, they will appear as frogs. Think about that, ladies. Next time you have your little frog on your counter, all right? Look at verse 8. They had hair like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. Now, a woman's hair is a symbol of her glory, but it can also be a symbol of seduction, and in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it doesn't say in the last days, but in latter times, and we've distinguished how God uses those two terms in the Bible, if you've been with me. Latter times refer to the last of the last days, that there will be seductive spirits that will come upon the earth. And so they will come and they will seduce people thinking that they're walking into something wonderful, but it will come with a bite like the teeth of a lion. Like their master, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so the devil seductively lures people in, and then he bites their head off like a lion. I mean, these demons are hideous. They're brilliant in their approach. Look now at verse 9. We read further of them. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. So these demons have impenetrable armor. It's not like you can take a gun or a, a rocket and shoot them through. You cannot destroy them. You cannot kill them. And the sound is just ominous for five months. Their, their wings are constantly vibrating in the earlobes of folks, sounding like chariots that are rushing 
And there's no place to hide. Now, some have tried to lessen the strangeness of these judgments by saying, well, these are missiles spitting helicopters and tanks that send out bullets that sting. But that style is totally unjustified. There's no biblical basis for interpreting the Bible that way. And while it will sell books and feed the minds of the deviant, I'll tell you, my friend, it takes away from what God wants us to understand. He is unfolding and unveiling here for us the evil that is going to come. He wants you to see how evil evil is. And sometimes we don't see it as that evil and we toy with it and we play with it, but it is destructive and it is harmful and Satan wants to ruin you. Verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and stings in their tails. That is the power to hurt men for five months. Again, this is both unnecessary and an abuse of Scripture to try to spiritualize these symbols and and to replace it with modern warfare when God wants you to see the horror of this judgment. And I suppose another reason that God likens them here to locusts is because the normal lifespan of a locust is five months. But their sting is 24 hours. These are not real locusts. And their sting is for five hours. Not to mention, look at verse 11. It also tells us these are not literal locusts. They have a king over them. Proverbs 30 and verse 27 reminds us that locusts have no king. But these have a king over them. The angel of the abyss, because this is an angel over these fallen locust-like angels. In his name, the angel of the abyss in Hebrew is Apollon. And in Greek, he has the name, I mean, in Hebrew, it's Abaddon. And in Greek, it is Apollon. Two names, two languages, and in both languages, it just means destruction. And so appropriate because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But he said, the thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal and to destroy. Verse 12, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. If you think this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. Now let's think about how this applies to us today. What are the timeless lessons since all Scripture is given for our profit to equip us? What can we do with this information today? Number one, I'm reminded from this passage that God, our God, is sovereign in every realm of His creation. As God's people, we can be thankful, as Jesus said in the opening chapter, that He has the keys of death and of Hades. God exercises absolute authority over Satan And it's all according to his timetable. When we come down to verse 15 of this chapter, it says that this has been prepared for the hour and the day and a month and a year. It's all under his control. And we've seen that just in these verses. Look at verse 1. The key was given to him. He didn't have the key. He couldn't get it if he wanted it. It had to be given to him. Verse 3, power was given to them. It's delegated, temporary power. It's not inherent. Verse 4, they were told not to hurt the foliage. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 5, they were not permitted to kill anyone. Our sovereign Lord is firmly in control over what is happening. And I'd tell you, even during the tribulation, he has it all under his feet. And it's easy to despair in the day that we are living in. 
And even if you're here this morning and you're going through some heartache in your life and it seems like you are in total chaos and your life is totally out of control, our God is on his throne. His providence extends to your life and he knows whether it's for five months or five years or five hours. And he knows the exact depth and extent of the trial that you're going to go through. It hasn't caught him by surprise. God is never unseated. Luther knew this so well when he was under attack and feared for his own life. And he wrote these words we sing so often. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. That's the first lesson. God is sovereign in every realm of his creation, even over the demonic realm. Secondly, God uses difficulty from the long view and not the short view. God is looking from the long view. Do you think God's up in heaven enjoying people being tortured? No, God is looking at the long view. His eye is on eternity, not for the pain that lasts for a season. Very often I am reminded when great tragedy comes into a life of a person that God has an eternal purpose in it. Sometimes we are being refined. Sometimes you uh, find yourself with some terminal disease or you find that you're going to have some chronic sickness or you lose someone that is so precious and close to you and your heart just breaks. But you later thank God, even in the midst of it, trusting God because you recognize because of this, I found the Lord or because of this, my loved one found the Lord or because of this, God broke this stronghold in my life. And because of this, God used it for good. King David said, look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. God has a way of using affliction to refine us, to cleanse us. The psalmist said, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. God in times of affliction revives the human heart sometimes like in no other time in life. And I would just ask you, when you go through an affliction, what would be better for a person at this time? To be in torment for five months and in the process to think of the reality of the wrath that is yet to come and to get saved? Or would it be better for there to be no torment for the five months, not to get right with the living God, and then to walk into an eternal torment that is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? Listen, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. That's what God's about in this time. Third and finally, the time of this coming earthly horror and the time of God's coming eternal horror can both be escaped. I thank the Lord that this prophecy does not end here. We already studied earlier in the Revelation in the third chapter, God speaking to the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. There's never ever in the history of man been a time of testing that has come upon the whole planet, never once, never recorded. You can't spiritualize Revelation and write this off. This time is coming upon the whole planet. And Jesus said that he will keep you from, ek, out of, not dia through, not on in. 
He will remove you out of this hour of testing. God said to the church at Thessalonica that they are to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Likewise, in 1 Thessalonians 5, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus. God promised not to pour wrath out upon his bride, the church. Look, just like God removed Lot before he brought fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, and just like God removed Noah and his family before he flooded the whole world, God is going to remove his people. And so you don't have to go through the great tribulation. And if you do and you're listening to the sound of my voice, you'll never get out of it. Because the Bible is clear that if you won't believe now, you will not believe then. I was on an airplane not long ago trying to get to Boston. I mean, it was a travesty that day. The computers were down, couldn't even scan people. We got on and off that airplane three times. Finally, we got on the airplane and the stewardess said, if you're heading for Boston, Mass., you're on the right plane, but if you're not headed for Boston, you need to get off of this airplane. My friend, if you're headed for hell and eternal wrath, you would be wise to get off the world's course and to get on God's train that will carry you to glory. It's your only hope, and you can only get there through Jesus. He's the only one who can forgive. Holy Father, Thank you that this is not simply what you have said some 2,000 years ago through the pen of John, but this is what you are saying. And may we have ears to hear it today. May we not be overwhelmed with the darkness that seems to just keep invading our nation and our world. May we be reminded today that all of it is under your sovereign control, that Satan and all of his fallen demons can only do what you allow. But help us not to dismiss the evil behind the evil. Help us to realize that your ways are best. That the folly that Satan offers us is only for our destruction and to rob us of real life. I pray today, Father, for someone who has a false assurance, who think that they can call Jesus Lord and live like Satan. People who drink, smoke, use dope and pills, who fornicate, commit adultery, are violent, and yet they call themselves born-again Christians. What a shock they will be in for for all of eternity if they don't get right. Father, help someone today to call upon Jesus as Lord, to say, I no longer want to reign over myself. Lord Jesus, through your blood, I want you to come in and forgive me and rule and reign my life. Would you do that? Would you say, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have, I will love you and follow you the rest of my days. Father, help someone else who's never been baptized to obey you by taking on that important symbolic confession. And help someone here that needs a church home to come and partner with us, not to critique us, not to criticize us, but to get in the trenches with us to win men and women and boys and girls for Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message or any of the studies in our series on the Revelation, 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. And for today's program, just ask for program REV23. And when you contact us, why not ask about how you can help keep this Bible teaching program on this and other radio stations throughout the United States. Our phone number again is 877-787-7478 or simply click the Give button at our website, searchthescriptures.org or on our Search the Scriptures app. Tomorrow we'll continue our study in Revelation 9 and begin a look at the time of the filthy four. Join us then as we search the scriptures.